Exodus 29, consecration of the priests. Last time we met, the text uh, made a shift from a focus on the tabernacle and all the tabernacle's furnishings to, um, to the priests, and particularly their clothes is what we talked about last time. Um, so that's where we'll pick up again this week. But as you put your finger in Exodus 29 there, um, I want to start a little differently this week, and I want to turn to Luke 24. So, so keep your finger in Exodus 29, turn over to Luke 24. We're going to look at verses 26 through 27 and then jump over to 44 uh, through 48. And I'd actually like to particularly read through these and then let this be our, our prayer um, as we look at Exodus 29 because it informs it uh, according to God's will here. So verse 26 in Luke 24. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. The reason I read that is because Christ takes a moment here on the road to Emmaus to remind us that what's being spoken of in Exodus is being spoken of himself. And he goes on to say in verse 44, then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you. While I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you. Stay in the city until you're cold with power from on high. Uh, what I'd like to do is, is pray particularly. Um, it says he, he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. So I want to pray for that tonight. Lord, here we are praying for the third time in five minutes. And it's good um, because you are that available uh, not just available, but active, doing more than we could ever know, working beyond our understanding and blessing us and equipping us in ways that we can't even fully comprehend. Lord, as Jesus proclaimed that the things written uh, were written about him, we take that with other things we know, like Romans 15 that says that what was written in previous days was written for our encouragement, that we might endure all of that said, just as you opened the minds of your children previously to give them understanding in the scriptures, I pray that tonight. I pray that you would open our minds to give us understanding. We're looking at a number of details again, and it's easy to get bogged down. Lord, I confess before everybody that even in preparing the study, there's so many little things that I just felt like I had to do something to... to make it more exciting or give it more of a narrative feel. And uh, it doesn't need that. And so I pray that you would help me to really fight against that and just walk through this with your people tonight so we can understand you. Give us understanding. Open our minds to understanding your scriptures. 
We know that you've given us this and it's breathed out by you and it's profitable for reproof and for correction and for training in righteousness that we may be competent and equipped for every good work. That's no small thing. So even the garments of the priests, the consecration of the priests, it helps us to understand Jesus and consequently understand what Jesus desires out of our lives. Lord, we love you. You are great. You are greatly to be praised. You are not like us. You are altogether different. And I'm thankful that you make yourself known that you're a knowable God who loves his people. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We're spending a good amount of time looking at some very specific details in Exodus. These details were given uh, by God to Moses. Where's Moses right now? On the top of what? Mount Sinai. Yeah, there shouldn't be that long of a pause on that kind of question. We should just really know Moses is on the top of Mount Sinai. Had a little, a little scare there. Um, uh, so God is speaking to Moses on top of Mount Sinai, and what he's doing is he's telling him, this is what I want for my people. I brought you out of Egypt for a reason. I didn't just bring you out for the sake of freedom's sake. I brought you out for the sake of in freedom you would worship me and you would praise me, you would follow me, you would serve me. And so um, God is giving some very specific detail <clears throat> to Moses. But before we get back into digging uh, through the specifics tonight, which we will, because um, that's, that's the portion of Scripture we're in, the, the post-Ten Commandments, where it's very, very detailed. Before we get back to that, I'd like to take a few steps back, and I really just want to ask one opening discussion question tonight. Normally, we have a lot of discussion questions to try to get back in. Normally, I have a few more on the Wednesday after spring break because it's hard to re-engage our minds because we've been on spring break and we've disengaged as much as possible. But here's my one question. What is Exodus about? Getting to the promised land? Redemption? Jesus. I can't believe it took three or four to get to that. Jesus. Yes. Um, yeah, w- w- y'all tell me if you can essentially take like a thesis or a, just one statement. We've been in Exodus for, for almost uh, 30 chapters now. Um, years we've spent in Exodus. We've gone through Genesis. And if someone was to say to you, oh, you're in an Exodus study, that's very nice. What is Exodus about? If you can just put it in a blanket statement, what is Exodus about? Think about it for a few minutes. Think, think about what a statement would be. Not just a word, but a statement. And then think about it. And then Speak. Preparing us to be able to know what Jesus would do. Yeah. Knowing who God is so that when he acts in Jesus, we can understand those details. What else? God saved a remnant. That's a big one. Why is that important? Yeah, he is. 
How'd he do that? What would be an important word in regards to the character and the movement and the ways of God? Say that again. It requires blood. Yeah. Yeah. Let's say I'm not a Christian, and uh, I've never heard of Christianity. I've never met a Christian. I don't live with any Christians, and I wouldn't call myself a member of a Christian nation. Let's say that. So I'm a very much non-Christianized person. What is Exodus about? And this God you speak of is who? Okay. Okay. And why do I care about purity? So if I read Exodus, I'll figure out how to be right. No. Yes, that's huge. Understand what holiness is. Good stuff. I, I'm sitting here climbing back in. I'm like, All right, what are some questions? I was like, I just kind of want to know if we know what Exodus, Exodus is about. We've been there for a while. It's so easy when we get in these, this, this detailed section of Exodus where we're looking at the priests and the garments and the 12 stones on the, on the chest and the, and the one on here and the one on here and the turban and the gold and, and the sash thing. And, and we look at all these little details and now we're going to look at the consecration and we get the burnt offering and the sin offering and the wave offering. And we got all these different things. We got all these details we're looking at and we could sort of miss the forest for the trees kind of a thing. And so I want to make sure we know what Exodus is about. 
Yes. It's a story of a new people, but also Yeah. And why does he care that they look different? His image. Image bearers. Glory. Yes, absolutely. I have in my notes, there's one true God who sovereignly, who works sovereignly to save a people for his own glory. If I had one sentence to sum up Exodus, there's one true God who works sovereignly to save a people for his own glory. So we don't want to just leave the study tonight and be like, yeah, I can very specifically articulate how to consecrate a priest in case the occasion should arise for me to do so. Um, but rather, realize what it is to, to be set apart and, to be, di- and to, to be different from the world for the sake of God's glory because he is the one true God who is setting you apart for that very purpose. We can't lose sight of that big picture. That's very very important. I'd ask you all the same thing. I mean, I, I'm not going to take a show of hands or, or answers right now, but if I was to say, what's Hebrews about? Y'all should be able to do the same thing. If I say, well, what's John about? Y'all should be able to do the same thing. If I would say, what's Romans about? Patrick, you should be able to do the same thing. We walk through that together. Um, so don't, don't get just caught up in these details and just the week-to-week movement. There's this big picture of what God is showing us, and it's good, and it's rich, and, um, and it's encouraging to, to be able to come in and say, there's one true God who works sovereignly to save the people for his own glory. Let's dig back in. And it kind of gives us a spot to go back to. Now we're going to dive into chapter 29. Y'all passed. Well done. Remember, this is all sort of a tabernacle preview, right? This isn't happening yet. That's what's so weird. We spend weeks and weeks and weeks in all this, and none of it's happened yet. It won't even happen until Leviticus. So it's a little odd, and, and I'm okay moving at the pace for moving because we're going to have to come back and look at all of it again in a sort of different way when it actually happens. So um, y'all buckle in because um, it's all going to come around full circle again. But this is a tabernacle preview. God is revealing to Moses what, he, what, his intent, what the plans are to the T. He's not just saying, this is an idea of what I want. God is saying, very specifically, this is how it will be because I am a sovereign God and you are my people and you will do what I say to do for a very specific purpose of putting his glory on display. So we're going to go over it again, Lord willing, when it actually comes to fruition in Leviticus. But we're going to start tonight in verses 1 through 9, Exodus 29. Now this is what you shall do to them, the priests, to consecrate them, that they may serve me as priests. Take one bull of the herd and two rams without blemish, and unleavened bread, unleavened cakes mixed with oil, unleavened wafers smeared with oil. You shall make them a fine wheat flour. You shall put them in one basket And bring them in the basket, and bring the bull and the two rams. You shall bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance of the tent of meeting and wash them with water. Then you shall take the garments and put on Aaron the coat and the robe of the ephod and the ephod and the breastpiece and gird him with the skillfully woven band of the ephod. You shall set the turban on his head. And put the holy crown on the turban. You shall take the anointing oil and pour it on his head and anoint him. 
Then you shall bring his sons and put coats on them. And you shall gird Aaron and his sons with sashes and bind caps on them. And the priesthood shall be theirs by a statute forever. Thus you shall ordain Aaron and his sons. Now this is a big moment. This is really quite a big moment. Now it's only theoretically a big moment because none of it's actually happening yet. It's what God is going to say is going to happen. So in a sense, it's a big moment that's going to be a big moment. So wrap your head around it. It's three-dimensional chess. It's all good. The consecrating of the priests of the formal is the formal setting apart of who? Who are the priests going to be? Aaron and his sons. Okay. So consecrating is to formally set apart. So this is the formal setting apart of Aaron and his sons to tend to some very important duties for the good of the people and for the glory of God. These are going to be the priestly duties that are very important. So as we read those verses, what are, some people say there's two, some people say there's four, some people say there's six. What are the key components of consecration as you read them in those verses? What must be done for Aaron and his sons to be consecrated as priests unto the Lord? Washed. Sacrifices, what else? Clothed, yeah, washed and clothed are are big ones that stick out to me. Um, Remember the things about the priesthood. Everything we see about the priesthood is a type and a foreshadow of Christ. We've talked about this again and again and again. This is foreshadowing things for us so that we can better, more fully understand Jesus Christ. And what is said of Christ has an impact on the Christian and the expectations of their life. 1 Peter 2.5 states it like this. You yourselves, sitting here today, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. I'm going to read that again. This is important. As I'm reading through these Exodus verses and studying them and trying to teach them and prepare, I'm realizing the phrase royal priesthood had very little meaning to me previously. You are a royal priesthood. That is unbelievable. It is amazing that God would accomplish such a thing for such a people, a royal priesthood. But this is where we get the the understanding for those thoughts, and they make sense in these verses. You yourselves, like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So this is what must happen to the priest before he comes before God to fulfill his duties. He must be washed and clothed. So turn to John 13 with me. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we're, we're, yeah. There's a there's a bunch of details. We, we don't want to miss any of them. Yeah, there's anointing after the washing and the clothing. John thirteen eight through ten says, Peter said to him, you, "You shall never wash my feet." Jesus answered him, "If I do not wash you, you have no share with me." Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. 
for he knew the one who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. If you take that in conjunction with Ephesians 5, what is, does anyone know off the top of your head what Ephesians 5.26 says about washing? All you husbands getting called out. Wash her with the water of the word. Husbands, wash your wives with the water of the word. So how is one Christian washed? By the word. Okay, these two verses, the, the washing of the feet, the washing of the water of the word, how does that inform your walk as a Christian? Walk according to God's word and that alone. What else? How, does, how else does it inform? Mm-hmm. Yes, if you're married, you, men, you have a responsibility to wash your wife with the water of the word. What else? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do y'all think that the priests just had this one washing and they were good to go for the rest of the priesthood? No. Yeah, this, this uh, we'll see some serious details as we move forward. Look at verses 10 through 14 in Exodus 29. <coughs> Sorry. Verse 10 through 14. Then you shall bring the bull before the tent of meeting. So we have Aaron and his sons washed up, clothed, um, and then it says, then you shall bring the bull before the tent of meeting. Aaron and his sons shall lay their hands on the head of the bull. Then you shall kill the bull before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting and shall take part of the blood of the bull and put it on the horns of the altar with your finger and the rest of the blood you shall pour out at the base of the altar and you shall take all the fat that covers the entrails and the long lobe of the liver, and the two kidneys with the fat that is on them, and burn them on the altar. But the flesh of the bull and its skin and its dung you shall burn with fire outside the camp. It is a sin offering. Now, why do you think that Aaron and his sons are to lay their hands on the head of the bull? They're going to kill it. Clint doesn't want to speak over Aunt Karen. Go, go ahead. <laughs> yes, a sign that the animal was taking his place. You dare to add to that? Oh, <laughs> Nice. This is what's called a sin offering. This is called a sin offering. Um, they are identifying with the bull in, in, in guilt. So the bull is going to take their place. And what we know from Leviticus 4, and we could go turn there and look at it, but we're going to have to look at it again because we'll probably go from Exodus to Leviticus. We know from Leviticus 4 that in offering, um, the, the sin offering uh, serves a specific for purpose of having the function of purifying the altar and making atonement for it. So they are cleaned, they are clothed, they did what they did with the blood, and there's a purification of the altar with this bull. Now look at verse 15. Then you shall take one of the rams 
And Aaron and his sons shall lay their hands on the head of the ram. Remember, when they went up, they had one bull and two rams. This is the first of two rams. And Aaron and his sons shall lay their hands on the head of the ram, and you shall kill the ram, and shall take its blood and throw it against the sides of the altar. Then you shall cut the ram into pieces and wash its entrails and its legs and put them with its pieces and its head and burn the whole ram on the altar. It is a burnt offering to the Lord. It is a pleasing aroma, a food offering to the Lord. Uh, this is the first of the two rams, and it's what's called a burnt offering. Um, there's, there's all these offerings that can get confusing. Don't, don't be confused. We'll just take them one at a time. And if you forget, you can go back and read. And if you have an ESV study Bible, all the notes say what it is. But the, the burnt offering, um, it's the same offering later described in Leviticus as atoning for the sin of the one who offers it. And so we have atonement that needs to be made so that there's purification for the altar. And then we have the cleansing. So, and then we have the clothing and the robing. And then we have, even after they're covered in that blood and, and the altar from the bull is covered in the blood. Now they have another one, the, the first ram that is there for the sake of atoning for the sin of the one who offers it. So whichever one of the priests at that time is going, he has to do that to atone for his sin. Look at verse 19. You shall take the other ram and Aaron and his sons, this is the second ram, and lay their hands on the head of the ram and you shall kill the ram and take part of its blood and put it on the tip of the right ear of Aaron and on the tips of the right ears of his sons and on the thumbs of their right hands and on the great toes of their right feet and throw the rest of the blood against the sides of the altar. Then you shall take part of the blood that is on the altar and, on the, and of the anointing oil and sprinkle it on Aaron and his garments and on his sons and on his son's garments with him he and his garments shall be holy, and his sons and his sons' garments with him. This is the second ram. It's called the Lamb of Ordination. In this is seen a picture of covering and provision for the priests, and many believe the blood uh, on the ear and the and the toe and the and the thumb is indicative of something. Anyone want to take a shot? Anyone want to take a anyone have any thoughts on why they would put the blood on the tip of their ear? And then on the right thumb, on the right toe. Yeah. Yeah, they're extremities of the hole and they represent the hole. What else? Say that again? Yeah, yeah. What do you do with your ear? Here, you listen. What do you do with, with your thumb and what it represents? You could do things. Yeah, this, this is a picture of uh, hearing so as to obey, which is signified by the blood uh, on the ear, and then the toe and the thumb is a picture of going and, and doing what you have heard. And so um, this also signifies a place of honor at the right hand of God. And this is a picture of obedience, but where there's no blood, there's no obedience. So you can't be rightly obedient to God without the blood of Christ. And so there's a, here we see this picture of no blood is, is no obedience. Now for a moment, at this point, I want to take one step back, and I want you to describe to me what you see. If you were watching this take place, you're watching this take place. You're watching, I mean, you're not a priest. It would probably be reported to the police. Why? There's blood everywhere. 
Where is their blood? They're slinging it everywhere. Where? Sorry, the altar, where else? People? Face the altar? I mean, these nice new garments that they just had made by the, the, the people who are skilled in making them, what are the two things you don't ever want to get on your clothes? Oil and blood. That's there. It ain't coming out. They didn't have shout or tide or whatever. That's there on purpose. It's sticking for a reason. And so how would you describe this? Lots and lots of blood. I mean, if you looked at Aaron and his sons, what would they look like? Murderers. And, and, and do you think it was a neat thing? Like sometimes we picture this and we picture this sort of, okay, a little blood for you, a little blood for you. They probably had it all over their faces. It was probably dripping off of them. It was probably on their lips. They could probably taste it. It was on their garments. I mean, it, there was blood. It was, they were walking in it. The smell of it, has anyone ever been to a meat market? That smell that is very distinct, it's like nickels, but not just nickels. Um, it's, uh, th- this would be, it, it would look like a bloodbath, it, it, lots and lots of blood. So what do you think God's communicating, obvious question of the night, with this picture? This is being done at the entrance of the tent of meeting at this point. We haven't even gotten into the Holy of Holies and all the other things that go on there. This is out in the open. Yeah. From the get-go, God's people drawn out of Egypt would know you cannot begin to approach God without being covered in the blood of the sacrifice. It will not happen. It cannot happen. It is meticulously outlined by God for his people. And if you forget, oh, look, we're covered in blood. Now, look at verse 22. You shall also take the fat from the ram and the fat, uh, and the fat tail and the fat that covers the entrails and the long lobe of the liver and the two kidneys and the fat that is on them and the right thigh, for this is the ram of ordination, and one loaf of bread and one cake of bread made with oil and one wafer out of the basket of unleavened bread that is before the Lord. You shall put all these on the palms of Aaron and on the palms of his sons and wave them for a wave offering before the Lord. Then you shall take them from their hands and burn them on the altar on top of the burnt offering as a pleasing aroma before the Lord. It is a food offering to the Lord. The word ordain, I remember this when I was ordained. To ordain means literally to fill the hands of. So I want to ask the royal priesthood that sits before me, what have your hands been filled with? Be ordained is to fill the hands of. So royal priesthood, what have your hands been filled with? There's one. Yeah? And what does that fill your hands with? Say that again? The message of the gospel. And you're supposed to do what with that? Yes. There you go. Splatter it all over everybody. Um, is, is it optional? Think about how not optional it was for these priests. That's what I want us to see here. 
You must be covered in the blood. You must have your hands filled. If it is not done that way, it is not the way that God said it's done, and it is not acceptable to God. So when I consider what this royal priesthood has had our hands filled with, what are we called to do? Go and do what? Make disciples. Are you making disciples? Is it optional? Is it to be taken lightly? This piece of scripture is to quicken us. It's to cause us to take a close look at obedience. What are our hands filled with? What does God expect of me as a Christian? Do I treat it flippantly? Do I have any sense of the seriousness of the occasion of the priests being consecrated? All I know is uh, place of honor, and uh, yeah, that, that's pretty much the extent of what I've read. Does anyone else have anything else on that? Significant on the right? Do what? Yeah, most people are dominantly right-handed, right-footed. Yeah. Really? They didn't want anyone to be left-handed. Anyone here left-handed? I dare you to raise your left hand. Wow, there's a lot of left-handed people in here. Weird. Get a rope. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's uh, anytime you put your hand under the thigh of another man, it's serious. It's a serious thing. You're making a you're making a promise. Ain't no messing around. So, it better be a serious occasion. Um. I'm going to read verses 26 through, uh, through the rest of the chapter, and then I got a few things I want to point out uh, particularly. Climb in, import your senses, consider what this would be like. This is the consecration of the priest. It's a big deal. I can't narrative this thing up any more than it's been done, and I think God wants us to see this, so I'm, I'm going to read the remainder of this. You should take the breast of the ram of Aaron's ordination and wave it for a wave offering before the Lord. It should be your portion, and you shall consecrate the breast of the wave offering that is waved and the thigh of the priest's portion that is contributed from the ram of ordination from what was Aaron's and his son's. It shall be for Aaron and his son a perpetual due from the people of Israel, for it is a contribution. It shall be a contribution from the people of Israel, from their peace offerings, their contribution to the Lord. So there's this picture of contribution and there's also a picture of provision for the priests. Um, some of what is offered is what they actually eat. That's their dinner. And so uh, we move on. The holy garments of Aaron shall be for, the, uh, for his sons after him. They shall be anointed in them and ordained in them. So these things are going to go down to generations. Now think about how cool that is. Like the blood of the sacrifice, uh, like... My great-granddad, this, this blood was on here since my great-granddad had it. That's just pretty, pretty remarkable. The holy garments of Aaron shall be uh, for his sons after him. They shall be anointed in them and ordained in them. 
The son who succeeds him as a priest who comes into the tent of meeting to minister in the holy place shall wear them seven days. We see a picture of a seven-day ordination here. You shall take the ram of ordination and boil its flesh in a holy place. And Aaron and his sons shall eat the flesh of the ram and the bread that is in the basket in the entrance of the tent of meeting. They shall eat those things in which atonement was made at their ordination and consecration, but an outsider shall not eat of them because they're holy. Don't be flippant about any of this. It's, it's because, because they're holy. And if any of the flesh uh, for the ordination or of the bread remain until the morning, then you shall burn the remainder with fire. It shall not be eaten because it is holy. There's, you see, um, uh, manna implications there. Thus you shall do to Aaron and to his sons according to all that I have commanded you. Thus seven days you shall ordain them. And every day you shall offer a bull as a sin offering for atonement. Also you shall purify the altar when you make atonement for it and shall anoint it to consecrate it. Seven days you shall make atonement for the altar and consecrate it, and the altar shall be most holy. Whatever touches the altar shall, altar shall become holy. Now this is what you shall offer on the altar. Two lambs a year old, day by day, regularly. How many lambs is that a year? Carry the one. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 730. That's, that's a lot of lambs. So we've got a lot of lambs and a lot of blood. Year after year after year after year. So when Christ, the sacrificial lamb, the Passover lamb, and his atoning blood come in, that you would see some significant understanding that would be had because of the stage that's been set by God. It goes on to say, this is what you shall offer on the altar, two lambs, a year old, day by day, regularly. So that's a large supply of lambs. One lamb you shall offer in the morning, other lamb you shall offer at twilight. And with the first lamb, a tenth seah, a fine flour mingled with a fourth of a hen of beaten oil and of a fourth of a hen of wine for a drink offering. The other lamb you shall offer at twilight and shall offer with a grain offering and its drink offering as in the morning for a pleasing aroma, a food offering to the Lord. It shall be a regular burnt offering throughout your generations at the entrance of the tent of meeting before the Lord where I will meet with you to speak to you there. There I will meet with the people of Israel and it shall be sanctified by my glory. I will consecrate the tent of meeting and the altar. Aaron also and his sons I will consecrate to serve me as priests. I will dwell among the people of Israel and I will be their God. That's so huge. Don't miss that. God's doing all this for what reason? I will dwell among the people of Israel and I will be their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of the land of Egypt that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. What does God repeat at the end? I am the Lord their God. That is, that is something that can't be lost in all this. I am the Lord their God. That, that's the whole purpose of all this. Um, I, I'm understanding in this portion of Scripture how it says when, when you gather, don't neglect to read this aloud. And there's something that is happening in, in just the reading aloud of these verses and climbing in and seeing it. Um, there are three things that I want to close with, uh, particularly in, in regards to this, this consecration of the priest. The, the first thing is that the fire of the burnt offering was never allowed to go out. 
I want y'all to see that. The fire of the burnt offering was not allowed to go out day or night. A.W. Pink says this, God would encourage us to renew in our affections continually the terms on which he is with us. He would have every day begin and end with a fresh sense of being with God and having God with us in the sweet aroma and acceptance of Christ. If, if you were a part of that camp, when you smelled that in the morning, that, that first lamb, you would smell that. It would go up. It would, the purpose is it's an aroma. Your mind would say presence of God. God is with us. And why is he with us? Because he made a way for, for himself to be with us and for us to be in his presence. You would know that there's someone caring for you. You would know that the priests were doing their duty as ordained by God for the good of the people and for the glory of God. And at the end of every day, it was the same thing. And the, and the tent and the tabernacle is all in the center of camp. So all of life revolves around this. All of life is to be set according to God's plans, God's purposes, and God's will. So the question would be, is that how it is with your life? Is it all God-centered? Or is there a little circle over here that's God-centered and a circle over here that's work-centered? Maybe a circle over here that's family-centered. We can't get it out of, out of sorts. God is at the center of the camp, and this, this burnt offering goes up continually. Second thing is accepted demand for consecrated living. What do you think, if the priests had a moment Let's say there's a priest. We all have those um, times at work where I think the technical term is brain fart. You ever heard that term? No? You haven't heard that term, really? Everyone's heard that term. Come on. Don't, oh, I've never heard that. I'm very spiritual. Um, where it's you just, I have no idea what I'm doing. Well, what am I doing? What is my name? Where am I? That kind of weird moment. What would the priest have to do? Um, if that happened, if, if he's going about and just kind of forgets what he's doing, what, what would he have to do to be brought back into reality? What would it take? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, he doesn't need like a supervisor to come in and say, hey, Jim, get back to it, you know. He, he, look, look what you're wearing. He'd have to just look down. He's got the 12 tribes and the thing and the thing and the thing and the thing and the thing. And uh, yeah, and don't forget all the blood. And so what I'm getting at is this. We need to accept the demand for consecrated living. That's difficult for a lot of us. Some of us are like, I will be consecrated unto the Lord when I feel like it. Maybe you've had that moment today. Maybe you've had that moment this week. I will be consecrated unto the Lord when I feel ready when I'm not tired, when my children decide to behave, when the bills are paid, when the tax refund finally, finally comes in, whatever. And um, we like to compartmentalize our lives, but according to Romans 12, all of life is to be lived for the glory of God. This picture of the priest, when he had those priestly garments on, when it was time for his duty, it was all, he was all in. And so... Um, Romans 12 says, all of life is to be lived for the glory of God. So when you look down at your clothing, you who don't have the things, but you have clothing, everyone has clothing. When you look down at your clothing every day, that is the result of your sin, you're clothed because you're sinners. You're redeemed. Consider the priest's clothes covered in the blood of the lamb that makes him acceptable to God. 
Imagine what a tragedy it would be if a blood-covered priest acted flippantly about what God has commanded. Can you imagine how out of place that would look if there was a priest who just acted real flippantly about what God wanted for him? He just decides to just wing it and, and go by whatever rules he wants. That, that, that would look highly inappropriate. So when you look at your clothes, think about the, the, the clothing of the priests and, and um, being covered in the blood and, and called by God and consecrated. Accept the demand for consecrated living. The third one is, is difficult. Accept the dailiness of your call as a royal priesthood. The priests were being set apart to do something, but what they were to do was largely monotonous. That's something that kind of stuck out as I was reading this. As, as I read this, um, this dailiness is difficult, and I think we all struggle with it. Anytime I was in a meeting today and we were looking at you know, plans, dreams, strategy, details for ministry and small groups. And what if we did this? What if we did this? And anytime we looked at adding something to the, to the schedule, I just thought, oh man, no one's going to like that. No one wants something else on the schedule. Our lives are too crazy. The dailiness is just, it's a grind. It's difficult. And uh, I want to read this in closing and I'll pray. And uh, uh, one of the commentators wrote something called the heart of the priestly life. And so, consider Christ, who has accomplished for you what you could not accomplish on your own, and then consider the fact that you are called a royal priesthood because of that accomplishment. And listen to this. The heart of the priestly life. After the priest's consecration and response, their life was, for the most part, a daily grind of performing the repeated sacrifices. The year had its high spots, for example, Passover and the Day of Atonement. But for the most part, the Aaronic priest was like a doctor writing out repeat prescriptions. Each day must have been very much like any other. And the rituals the priests were asked to perform can hardly have retained their early freshness or excitement. Yet, It was the life to which God had called them. It was the life characteristic of their priestly privilege. The framework of their walk with God was to be one of patient continuance in well-doing. So year after year, the ministry of Aaron and his successors, his sons and their successors went on. And if ever they wearied with the daily round and common task, please God, the central reality of their priesthood came to their rescue and never failed to thrill their hearts and hold them steadily on course. The purpose of their ministry, even in its mundane routine, was to realize the presence of the living God among his people. Don't let the dailiness of your routine cause you to lose sight of the presence of the living God. And to hear and to share the word which he would speak. The priestly life was indeed concerned with patience and perseverance in daily duties and daily activities. But at its heart was the calling to live in the presence of God, to be occupied with the things that made his presence real, and to wait upon him. To hear his word. Let's pray. 
Lord, as we consider um, the priests, we consider the dailiness of what they did. We consider that each day they had to do the same thing because they weren't really accomplishing anything that was eternal. And then we consider Christ, our great high priest, who accomplished once and for all by the sacrifice of himself what no man could, at- could accomplish on his own. Lord, my prayer is that this Exodus 29 study would result in us having higher, more proper regard for Jesus Christ. Lord, I'm thankful that Jesus made a way for us, that Jesus is our great high priest. He is before you right now on our behalf as I pray. I pray in his name because if I don't pray in his name, I have no right to come before the one true holy God. He's doing far more than we can do. He's preparing a place and he will return. Lord, I pray that you would allow these realities to quicken us to this consecrated life that we are called to live. Help us not to be flippant in regards to holiness. Help us to take seriously what it means to be meticulously obedient and not loosely obedient when we feel like it. Lord, the daily movement of things When I look at the life of the church, I confess it it scares me. It's hard to find people who aren't a bit bogged down or really bogged down. But in Christ, we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. I pray that texts like these Help us to understand really what that means. Lord, we love you very much. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Y'all have a good night. Go get your kiddos.